Happy Father's Day to everyone here. Of course, getting to preach a sermon on Father's Day, you might not think I'm happy about Happy Father's Day afterwards, but I am here to challenge you. And I do want us to, to, to take uh, from Colossians, and I'll explain that more in a minute. But I want you to think about some of these things. Have you ever heard a parent say to their child, and I'm not saying Christian parents, but in the world, you're the worst behaving boy that's ever lived? God is ashamed of you for what you just did. I'm ashamed of you for what you just did. God doesn't love you when you behave like that. No one has a child as bad as you. Now, the one when I was growing up that I always liked, the, the, the guilt one was, eat your vegetables, there are ch- starving children in China. Okay? <laughs> Put your shoes away. You realize there are children who don't have shoes that wish they had shoes that they could put away? I've been told that, okay? I've seen that. Uh, You shouldn't hit your sister. That's bad. Say you're sorry. And the kid says, I'm sorry. See, now, and the mother says, now you're a good boy. Jesus loves you again. Okay? Okay. If you keep, this is, I've heard this, if you keep doing that, I'm going to leave you right here in the store. Now, <laughs> don't ever do that with your wife. She has credit cards. You will give her the happiest hour of her life, okay? Now, I have seen kids in stores who behave like that, and I think, well, if I was their parents, I might consider that, but... Or here's another one. Wait until your father comes home. <laughs> of course, we can switch it the other way. If you do this, I will reward you with. Okay? I will reward you with. Uh, or they're misbehaving. Whoa, because let's watch TV instead. You know, bait and switch, manipulation. You know, all of that. And here's the last one. Well, no, the second last one. As long as you're in my house, under my roof, you will do it my way. (laughs) I've seen many a child move out because of that. And then the best one, though. This is the God's anointed one. Stop doing that. And the kid says, why? Because I said so. (laughs) Because I said so. Don't try that one with your wife. Because she looks at you and says, sleep in the garage. And you say, why? And she says, because I said so. And believe me, you end up sleeping in the garage. Obviously, these are extremes of parenting. And I just want to get them out of the way. These these are things that in biblical counseling, they're labeled as shame, guilt trips, threatening, uh, rewards, manipulation. Uh, We call the sovereignty syndrome. Don't mess with God's anointed. You know, God made me the father and the the ruler of this house. Uh, Those kind of things. Um, And believe me, I'm not, I don't want to accuse anybody here. I don't believe anybody here has ever threatened to leave their child in a store or have done any of these things. These are what we call extreme forms of legalism, something that we've seen in Colossians. Um, and we've, but we've also learned the solution in Colossians. And so today, I want to take what's already been preached, and I want to do a, an application, I want to do a devotion of what's already been preached in Colossians. And I want to note this, okay, for a second, because I don't want to offend anybody. Legalism is a pattern, uh, as we say, modus operandi, your standard way of operating. It's a pattern. 
It, it, if it's your standard, normal, everyday way of parenting, if it's your only way, your, your, your number one tool in the toolbox for getting your children to behave, that's legalism. Now, we're going to talk about rules. We're going to talk about re- rules with reasons. But, you know, sometimes in our lives, we, we don't have time to explain things. Certainly, if the kid's about to put his hand on the stove, you get it, okay? And sometimes we, we, we just have to say, just do it. We're in a hurry, and those kind of things. But here's the key. I want everybody to listen. It's our heart attitude. It's our heart attitude in parenting that makes the difference. If we have an overall environment, the overall envelope uh, of parenting that is loving, that is, that is teaching our children, explaining, that is Christ-focused, uh, Christ gospel-focused, and, and our children then know it. Our children know it and they feel it. They know that they are always loved. They know that they are always accepted. Okay, and they know that all of our rules really come with a reason. Okay, we're okay. But, as we'll talk about, we can all slip into legalism. It does happen. I want to talk about what that is. And yes, there are times where we are legalists, okay? And we are legalists with our parents. We're legalists in our marriages. We need to repent and we need to move on. We need to ask, ask forgiveness. So like I said, today I want to apply, and I especially want to focus on uh, Colossians 2, 16, 17 on legalism. Though many of these things, there's overlaps in that section down to 23. I want to focus on that as the problem. And then uh, where Max had preached in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, pull from that application just for parenting. So these are the verses that Oleg just read for us, and we're not going to reteach them. All right, we'll, we'll review a couple things, and it's going to be focused on application. Oh, application, certainly for our fathers, but it, it applies to all parenting. And the overall legalistic part applies to us all. Now, the key, though, is for what Max has preached and what Jan has preached, as parents, we need to apply these to our lives first, these principles, okay, these teachings. Uh, we need, we can't just take the one sermon, uh, though I know we listen closely. We need to study and we need to apply these things. We need to apply them to our lives first. Uh, main thing you need to realize about parenting is, and I've said this many times in the Sunday school class and such, is parents, your children will get a PhD in being just like you. You will look back on your children and you'll say, the best thing about my children is they turned out just like me. And you will look back and say, the worst thing about my children is they turned out just like me, okay? Um, They're watching. They're learning. They learn more from how our heart attitude is, how our thoughts and actions are, how our reasons are than anything else. So please go back to what Jan preached, go back to what Max preached, go through it in detail, study other books, apply it to your lives. Colossians, this section has everything to do with our daily lives, okay? So we talk about how to parent from Colossians, and I wish we just kind of do this. We really have to use the whole book because we ourselves, we have to pass on to our children, who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? Well, that's what Paul did in in covering the lordship of Christ in chapter 1, okay? And you've got to understand that what you have and who you are Okay, in Christ. Well, that's what Paul did, okay, at the end of chapter 1 through uh, first part of chapter 2 there. 
You have to understand what you're up against. Well, this is the section we're in now, 2.16 and following. And believe me, even though that talks about what we're up against, it also is pointing us to Christ. And then, starting where we were in chapter 3, we have to then learn how to live in Christ. And we have to learn to live the risen life based on what we have being in Christ. So if you would, turn to Colossians chapter 2 if you're not there already. We'll, we'll just uh, look real quickly at verse 16, but just part of it. This is legalism. This is Paul rebuking legalism. He's going to do mysticism and then asceticism after this. But the thing is, legalism, as he literally says here, it is a shadow. To be a legalist, you are chasing shadows. Verse 16, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Here's the key. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. And then see what he does in verse 17 there. In the second part, you've got that contrast. You've got that but. The substance belongs to Christ, all right? Why chase shadows when you have the reality? You have Christ. And that reality of Christ is all Paul has been teaching in the past two chapters, about his lordship, who he is, and what he's done for us, and what you have in him. Paul, Paul has said, my whole ministry has been focused. I've been struggling, agonizing. I've been, you know, wanting to strengthen, encourage you. I have been. And so you've got the message of who Christ is. He's really answering the prayer from back in chapter 1 uh, that Paul prayed there. Uh, he's covered the reality of Christ. You have that reality. You have the fullness because Christ has the fullness. You have completeness because you are in Christ. Christ is sufficient. You have it. You have it all. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't been doing it already, take the book of Colossians. And if you haven't been, go back to beginning. Every Sunday after church, it's fresh in your mind. It's just been taught. It's been detailed out to you. Take it back and teach it to your kids at whatever level they're at. Here, who, here is our Christ. Here is who I live by every day, who I'm building a relationship with, and I'm helping you to build a relationship with. I encourage you every Sunday, when it's fresh, take it back and do a devotion with the children. And if you've got questions, come back to our preachers. Come back and ask, because Christ is all and in all, as we will see later in this book. All right, well, in passing here, we're going we're gonna to move pretty quickly because I want to get down and talk about legalism. But just note verse 20, right? <clears throat> Paul wants to remind us of our position here. And, and he says at the beginning of verse 20, if, and as you've been taught, it's since you have died with Christ. And he's doing this because we're going to come back to it in 3.1 as Max taught, that we're going to see it again, since you have risen with Christ. But what he's doing here in the midst of this section of problems in the church, he's saying, look, you're, you, are li- you are dead. You are spiritually dead to the things that I'm, I'm telling you to put off, to not let anybody influence you, not do in your lives, okay? You're dead based on your spiritual union with Christ. Remember, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And we see this testament that's throughout, uh, this teaching that's throughout the whole New Testament, the two most common aspects of union with Christ that are taught is that you have died with Christ and you have risen with Christ over and over and over again. That old life is dead. The old man is dead. You have 
a new life. So that's what he's talking about here. He's actually summarizing, if you want the teaching, go to Romans 6 sometime and read 1 to 10 there. Read to the depth of how you died and you were buried with Christ and you've risen to new life. And guess what? It's all in a section about how not to sin, how to put off sin, how to live the Christian life. We look at it as the depths of theology. It's really the reality of our life in our union with Christ. So what's Paul saying here? He's reminding you of your your position that you're united with Christ. You are a Christian. So by definition, being in Christ, these things you are dead to, they do not belong in your life. Based on who you are, don't do these things. All right. And that's all we're going to do with the verses down to 23. But let's talk a minute about legalism. What is legalism? And the first thing I want to say is what it is not. Legalism is, is not the same thing as having standards, all right? We have standards. God has laws. In the Old Testament, we had the Mosaic law. In the New Testament, we're under the law of Christ. God has laws. His righteousness tells us what is right. And there are commandments in the Bible. They're not for your neighbor. They're not for the guy sitting next to you. They're for us or for each of us, okay? And he is immutable. He is unchanging. So his commandments, they never change. So just keep that in mind. Rules, standards are okay. It's all a matter of how we apply them. Now, what is legalism? Well, legalism takes the commands of God, takes his law, and they, first of all, they separate them from God. You take these and they just become rules, okay? And they separate them also, legalists take these and they separate them also from God's intended use of these commands and these rules. See, if you separate them, then, well, they're just rules, okay? And that's why you get back to your God's anointed, because I said so, you know? Don't, please don't anybody do that one today. Um, let's define it. Legalism, then, is reducing Christianity, Christianity, to a set of rules rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's reducing Christianity to a set of rules rather than a relationship with Christ. It's rules without relationships, so therefore it's rules without reasons. Reasons like pleasing Christ. Reasons like coming to know Christ more. Reasons like becoming more like Christ. And let me just say it bluntly. Legalism is sin. That's why Paul's got it in here. Legalism is sin. Those things he's mentioning there, of course, they were in context relative to the Judaizers and the different attacks that were going on in Colossae, but they are legalism. They are rules-based living. It's sin. So at your level, as a Christian, when you think just in terms of, I can do better, I should do better, I must do better, and then you just go try harder, That's legalism. That's trying to perfect yourself in the flesh. That's trying to sanctify yourself in the flesh. If it's just, I must do it, I should do it, here's the rules, I gotta do these rules better, right? Okay? And when you try to do that with your children, it's legalistic parenting, as we're gonna talk about it in a minute, all right? But when when you do this for yourself, it's actually kind of like double sin because you're trying then to take rules to to mortify and and kill the flesh, stop sinning with sinful efforts because they're done apart from Christ. So 
Let's then move then. And, and I want to try to focus the rest of this, even though I'll switch sometimes to talking about us as parents. I want to talk about legalistic parenting. What is it here based on what we're seeing here? Well, legalistic parenting is, is parenting that's primarily most often based on rules, based on rules without reasons, those reasons then coming from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I said before, there is a time and place for just do it. There is a time and place for where we we just say we have to get this done, but we want that environment where our children know that they are always loved, they are always approved of, that they are always being thought of as, as us growing them towards a life in Christ, okay? And and never do they think that any of our rules are apart from our relationship with Christ. Uh, Legalism uh, in parenting is, it's a Galatians 3.3 problem. Remember Galatians 3.3 where Paul says, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You were saved by the Spirit, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Are you now being perfected by the flesh, man-made rules? Well, let's take that today and let's switch it to the uh, book of parenting, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Because in parenting, what we often do, and notice I'm saying we, we often do, it, it really should read, you foolish parents, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, are you now parenting by the flesh? In other words, we spend so much time, we're evangelizing our children, we're sharing the gospel with them, we have them understand the gospel is by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, but parenting is by rules. No, parenting is by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, uh, relationship with Christ, strengthened by Christ, the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to be so foolish that we are parenting by the flesh. Let's talk about rules for a minute. Remember, this is all application. I'm not going to reteach. I just want you thinking about this. I've probably packed about 10 hours in here, as Marianne said last night. Um, So we're just going to hit it at a high level. There are two levels to our rules, two areas to our rules. Yes, God has commandments. That's a key area, and we have to obey those commandments. But there are also what we call gray areas. The gray areas of life. Well, first let's cover the, the God's rules and commandments. A legalist can take any rule, any commandment of God, and pull it out of the Bible, away from God and his intended use, and just make it a rule. All right? it can ampli- a legalist can amplify the rules of God, the commands of God, can add details. We know the Pharisees. There were a couple thousand rules that they added to the Sabbath. How many steps you could take. What you could do with your animals. You couldn't do. Rules upon rules upon rules. Uh, it adds, so it adds detail. It twists them. Legalists can take the commandments of God and twist them and reinterpret them and distort, change their meaning, change their intention. As one author says, it's God's righteousness reduced to petty rules. And the problem with legalism is, and this is a, an application of Colossians 2.8, but no one take you captive. An application of this is you take the rule and it becomes so ingrained that the, the parent treats it as if and even believes often that it is scripture, that it is truth. Now, I, I'm not saying that that's happening in our family, but think about it. 
if you constantly just take a rule and you beat it into the kids time and time and time again, at the same time that you're evangelizing them and telling them you're a biblical parent and you're just doing this and this and this, it's a legalistic rule, the children can and often do that believe that this is God's way of doing things, that this is a rule, that this is scripture, just because they've had it parented into them. They become like their parents. So when it comes down to the rules of God and the commandments of God, legalists most often operate on fear. They, they, they fear to allow themselves to only live by God's word, to only, only live that way. And what happens in the lives of others is they fear and they, they don't want to allow others, even outside of their families, to also live only with God's rules. You need, a legalist needs rules to prevent someone from sinning. You need the rules. That creates this safety zone. Now, let's talk about, let's move from the direct rules of the thing, you know, do not steal, do not kill, the direct commandments of God, and let's talk about the gray areas. This is the favorite area for talking about legalism. Um, this is where you take something that's vague in Scripture, I'll define it here in a second, and you make it absolutely right or wrong. There is only one way to do this. And the gray areas are defined as the areas that the Bible doesn't explicitly say what we are to do, and that there are various options, applications in these categories that are neither right nor wrong. This is why we should sometimes go through Romans 14. Every family should study Romans 14 to understand the gray areas, okay? What are some gray areas? Entertainment, okay? What movies you watch? What TV shows you watch? Computer games, which ones you allow? Smartphones, oh, churches. Uh, iPhones, what age should you allow your child to have a smartphone, okay? What should they be allowed to do on it? gray areas. External personal appearance, clothes, makeup, jewelry, the way you wear your hair. I almost, and I didn't do it, I was almost going to take a couple of the elders and have one come dressed in their worst dirty yard clothes today and the other one dressed in a three-piece suit or a tux just so that everybody would notice how that they were dressed, okay? and wonder, why is he, you know, that kind of thing. All right, James covers that in chapter 1. Okay, how about music? Your music you listen, that's a gray area. Our children were young. One of Ben's friends come over. His mother brings him over. Um, In the garage, I've got on 1950s, 60s music on and playing it in the garage. And she walks in. I said hi to her, and she walks by, and she looks at me, and she says, you're a Christian and you listen to that type of music? You know, obviously my godly attitude kicked in and, you know, and such. I prayed for her and then I turned it up. Uh, First time I ever got in a car with one of the pastors down at Grace Community Church when I was serving there. I, I think he did it on purpose. He turned up the music. He said, like the music? And we had a talk about legalism in music. There, it's just one of those things. See, legalism takes these areas and it makes them black and white. Of course there's movies we should never watch. Of course there's music, there's satanic, there's things that we would never watch. But there are gray areas also. 
And when we parent in the gray areas, we have to train our children that these are gray areas. And we then get a chance to explain to them our reasons, our biblical reasons for why we do them the way we do. But we can also explain to them why another family, because they've got their friends in the neighborhood and they're seeing that their friends are doing this, why another Christian family chooses it the way they do it and that it's okay. Remember, we're raising these children to release them to a world of choices, release them to a world to be bombarded by the flaming arrows and the direct combat of spiritual warfare. We're trying to raise them to understand, to think biblically, okay? And we've got to explain this. So just a couple things there about legalism, but what motivates legalism? Why would any of us ever fall or tend into this into this unfortunate and and enslaving system? Well, the first one is fear. First of all, fear. You know, see, if God's principles into a legalist, if they're not replaced with rules, people will ignore God's word and, as one author says, go wildly into sin. I have literally been told in counseling, we make our children do what is right so that they do not fall into sin. Fear. Good old-fashioned fear. Now, if you take pride and you put it with fear, because you can have a little bit of both, legalists are concerned about appearances. That's so you're seeing that right there in, in Colossians 2, 16 to 23. They're concerned, okay? A bad behavior or my dress and those kind of things, they reflect on me and my family, Okay? They, I must look good. That's a fear of man or a man pleaser, one or the other. See, legalism, if you fall into the trap, legalism can make you look good as a father, as a mother, as a parent, even as a church. Even as a church. Um, how would a legalist have viewed the families coming into church this morning? Well, have you ever seen uh, the the cute picture of the mother duck on the lake with her little ducklings all lined up in a row behind her? Okay. So one family comes in over there, and the mother and father are walking, and the children are all neatly dressed, and they're all walking, one, two, three, right behind them. Legalist looks and goes, wow, look at that family. They're really mature. Now, on the other side of the room, the mother and father get to the door. The kids are pushing up behind them, and when they get through the door, it doesn't look like ducks on a pond. It looks like a shotgun blast. And the kids are, whoa! And the kids are spread all out and they're charging all over the place. The legalists go, that father doesn't have control of his family. I wonder what it's like at home. Now, of course, I'm being extreme. So I'm giving, but when we tend to look at appearances, and we tend to, 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 we tend to judge this way, it's legalism. Uh, I remember Jerry Ragg and Carrie Hardy, pastors who were at Grace Church when I was there, they used to always laugh. Why is it my kids are always the ones that are most behaved in all the Sunday school classes, and I'm always getting called out, and they're always the ones standing outside that, and everybody has to see me. And they said, you know, it's actually a great opportunity for us as shepherds and and pastors for for them to see that here we are shepherding and our children aren't perfect. Okay. But legalism, pride, fears can fear on appearances. Uh, Secondly, it's easier you know, it's easier to parent by legalism off. It's easier to measure, right? It's easier to measure your children's progress by the keeping of rules. 
Uh, and the assumption there is that your faith, your spirituality, uh, it can be quantified. Your spirituality can be quantified if you're a legalist. You can look, okay, I'll, I mean, I'll use Jan, and he knows it's okay. I can look at his clothes, I can look at his hair, I can look at his dress, I can look at his behavior, and I can determine his spirituality. That is a legalistic view. Looking down on someone for any reason at all. What did Paul say in Corinthians 5? We no longer see anyone according to the flesh. The challenge for all of us is to see Christ in you and Christ in you and Christ in you and understand that we all walk different, talk different. We all are different levels of spiritual maturity and growth. God is using us different, but we are all in Christ. And if you remember how slow he is, how slow he is with me and how long it takes for me to change, I have a hard time being judgmental of anyone else. And this is, this is a sign of insecurity, spiritual immaturity in, in Christian parenting, okay? It does make you feel safe. It does make you feel right. It does make you feel like a good parent. But pure legalism, pure legalism, just rules, is sin, it's wrong, yes, but it's easier. Now, who does this sin affect? All of us. All of us. Legalism affects any Christian. We can all be sucked into it. A family, a husband, a wife, a church. You can, if you're not careful, establish the wrong goal of trying to protect your image, trying to protect your children, trying to protect your family from sin instead of glorifying God. Oh my, rules without reason. They do not motivate right behavior. And they certainly don't teach our children how to make right spiritual choices, right decisions. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because I want to talk about now is why legalism doesn't work. You can see the motivations. There's fear. There's pride. It's easier. But now let's talk about what, what motive, what, what, um, why it doesn't work. Let's move to that. First of all, Legalism confuses two things. It confuses conformity to rules with spirituality. That's why it doesn't work. It's good kids become good Christians. Good kids become good Christians. That's the motto. That was the motto of my parents' generation. Good kids become good Christians. It's compliance with rules and is a gauge of their spirituality. Just keep the rules, children, and you will be spiritual. <laughs> and so what do children learn? Well, they've learned that first, that if I keep the rules good, I'm spiritual. But they also learn the better I am at keeping the rules, the better I am at being spiritual. If we take that into adulthood, we have legalistic parents that said, the better I am, the harder I try, the more I work at it, the more spiritual I am. And unfortunately, it doesn't stay with themselves. They apply it to others, okay? Good kids will become good Christians is not true. Because the problem is rules focus on the externals. That's where we're coming down. We're bringing this thing down. Problem with legalism and rules is just rules focus on the external, not on the heart issues. Let me paraphrase a quote here. 
parents an attack on, legalistic parents attack on specific visible sin. They, they preach against smoking, drinking, cursing, dancing, going to movies, certain forms of clothing, etc. Worldliness is characterized in terms of these habits and behaviors. They are actually ignoring issues of the heart such as covetousness, hatred, strife, envying, idolatry, love of self, etc. They are ignoring the hard discussions of such inward qualities such as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness. I can say this. uh, Rules alone have never made anyone spiritual. Just like the law couldn't save, rules alone have never made anyone spiritual. Okay? In fact, I, I know legalists, I've seen this in counseling, that often believe that forcing their children to obey rules does make them grow spiritually. It does make them grow spiritually. But the reality is all it's teaching them is behavior modification. All it's teaching them is how to conform. It's not working on their heart. So that'll take me to a second reason why legalism fails. Building off of that first one is it's a system of rules that doesn't provide decision-making opportunities and decision-making experiences. Now we can turn the corner. If I just say, just do it, Oleg, there's no, eh, or you shouldn't have done that, Oleg. Eh. But there is a a God-given opportunity in that moment for whatever he did to have a discussion and teach biblical Christ-centered decision-making. And we need to take uh, the opportunity for it. It just it eliminates. It makes the decision for you. And you know what that does is then he, us, we, we never learn to be spiritually mature decision-making adults. We become weak spiritual adults because you don't learn biblical Christ-centered decision-making. Remember those gray areas? Well, that's where you're gonna, kids are going to spend and you spend most of your life is the gray areas. It, it, I mean, God, that's why God gives us principles through a person. And we use those principles then on how to live the life. And the other thing, too, you've got to understand is if you're teaching decision-making and you're helping and you're shepherding your children, you then got to let them go out and experience this. What does that mean? You have to let them make mistakes. Okay, mistakes be, can become teaching opportunities. Don't take this to the extreme. Life-threatening things, major areas, breaking the law, all these kind of, of course not. You stop them right away. But see, what parenting looks like is if I draw a graph and I say, okay, here's who's in control on the vertical axis and here's time. When you've when you got a baby here, your parenting control is at 100%. But as those children grow your parenting control decreases. See, and that's why you want to be training them in decision-making control. Over time, from that same thing, they start up with zero control. Their control, their decision-making grows. And at some point, as they grow like this, they're going to get saved. At some point, you're going to hand them off to Christ and to the world. And you can be pleased that you, you've, you've run the race as a parent and you watch them, and you still, even then, continue to help them with decisions because you turn to influence instead of control 
when they're, they're up and they're out of the house and such. Legalism does not provide those opportunities. Just do it. Instead, we want those opportunities. I'm generalizing here. We, we want the children to learn to fail. Of course, in increasing degrees, increasing ways there. Every day, every event in your child's life is for you an opportunity to, to train them on what is right and wrong. You'll hear often heard moral decisions. Right and wrong, though, from God's point of view. Say, life is going to change. Life is going to throw everything at them. But God's rules, God's way, God's person of Jesus Christ doesn't change. And if we remember that we're releasing them to the world. What was Paul, one of the best verses in Colossians, his goal was to raise every man, present every man complete in Christ. Take that to parenting. Your goal as a parent is to take your children as close as you can, as far as you can while you're their parents, to completeness in Christ, to spiritual maturity. And then you hand them off to the world. All right, now we're going to get to Colossians 3. We just, enough of legalism, all right? Let's leave it behind us. If you would, turn to Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And, and I want you to think about this here. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you were Lazarus from John chapter 11? Lazarus, whom Christ raised from the dead. Can you imagine? I mean, you know the story. Uh, Christ was out of town. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem, so basically right there. Uh, Lazarus is sick. They call for him. Jesus purposely delays two days because he wanted, you see, Lazarus was dead for four days when he got to that tomb. So everybody is sure Lazarus is dead. And when Christ calls him forth, then they didn't even want to roll away the stone. And he comes forth. He's wrapped in his grave clothes. Christ Christ has risen him from the dead. Uh, I don't like to add to Scripture. I'm not going to change the story at all, but i got to be honest. Don't you think Lazarus' life was different after that? Just a little bit, okay? He, he, he was raised from the dead. They're, they're, in fact, this was so important, it got to the Sanhedrin. They talked about, what are we going to do? Christ is going around doing all these signs and things like that. They even talked about, maybe we should put Lazarus to death. Think of the irony of that when Christ raises them from the dead. But it was, got to where everyone knew. Do you think Lazarus ever had a normal life after that? I'm sure people wanted to touch him. They wanted to talk to him. I mean, I wonder what happened. What did you see in those four days? But, you know, without adding to Scripture, the, you know, it wasn't important to his spiritual life. But we just know that his life had to be completely different. All right? Well, you know Colossians 2.20 since you have been have died with Christ, in Colossians 3, 1, since or if you have been raised up with Christ, you know what that says? The change in your life is just as radical a change, even more radical because it was spiritual life and death, as the change was in Lazarus' life. That old self, Scripture all the time, Peter says in first Peter, you've had long enough to live those old sins, you know, now you live for God. It's all over. Your old life, the old you, the change to you now having died with Christ, because yes, you really did die with him, and risen with Christ, because yes, you really did rise with him, should be so dramatic, should be so different, so changed, that you in yourself 
Never go around thinking again about the old life. You have to put that off and you have to move to the new life. You have a new way of thinking. You have a new identity. You, you, everything is new. And so when you think about Lazarus, if you want to think about living the Colossians 3, 1 to 4 life, think about Lazarus. And you should appear that differently to everyone who knows you, especially those who are not Christian. You should appear that differently. As parents, we need to pass this on to our children. We are teaching you a life that will be so different. You will have a Savior. You will be in Christ. Your life is going to be so different than it is from anyone else in the world. A friend went up to Augustine and said, Augustine, it is I, Augustine. And Augustine said, yes, but it is no longer I, Augustine. Okay, but Jesus Christ. In other words, yeah, I was your friend. You knew me before I was saved, but that's not me anymore. If you want to know me, my identity is Christ. If you want to know about me, you got to know about Jesus Christ. The famous professor back in the East Coast who was chairman of the Department of Religious and Spiritual and Philosophy things at Harvard or Yale. He lost his 25-year-old son to a climbing accident in Europe back in 1987. And this man wrote many books. I think he's got 35 books or so. And in one of his books, he wrote a book of all kinds of essays to his son uh, about his son. And, and from then on in his life, he told people, if you really want to know me, you have to know about this, this event in my life. You have to know about me because this changed me so dramatically that I lost my son. If you want to know me, you have to know this. As Christians, we have to tell the people, especially old friends and such, if you want to know me, you have to know about Jesus Christ because it is no longer I, Augustine. It is Jesus Christ. That is the message of the New Testament. That's the message of Paul. You now have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You actually have the Father in you, and you are in union with Christ. All right? So never, Colossians 3, 1 to 4 teaches us, never ever focus on anything worldly, man-made, anything to be spiritual. That is no longer part of our life. In 2.20 says, forget the earthly things. 3, 1 to 4 says, focus on things above. Well, what's above? Well, not rules and regulations. Jesus Christ is above. Christ who is our life. And Oleg, I must have messed up. I'm sorry, I was supposed to have you read Colossians 3, 4. Jesus Christ who is our life. And it will be revealed when Christ is revealed. That's the climax of the section. He is our life. And so the wrong answer is always just rules, always just regulations. Paul's pulled us out of that section. The only answer now is, I have a new life. I've been risen to newness of life. I am in Christ. I live my life focused on Christ. He is my life. Paul's answer to every problem in the New Testament, certainly every problem in Colossians is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christianity, he is teaching us, is a person. Jesus Christ. He is in you. The hope of glory, Colossians 1.27 in our book. He is your life, Colossians 3.4. We saw back in Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14. The one thing that I do because Jesus Christ is my life is pursue knowing him. The one thing. 
the primary thing, knowing him, pursue him. And we take this Bible, we take this Bible, yes, it's full of commands. But I'd like to say, see the commands, live the commands, but looking past them to the person of Christ who is behind those commands. So as you see these commands, you live the commands in here, you read this book, you read about his life, you read about God our Father who sent him, you read about the Holy Spirit in us who's doing the will of Christ here on earth. You are, you're doing all of that to know Jesus Christ, not just a book of rules. If this is just a book of rules to you, we're back to legalism, and I don't want to go there. We move past that. So like I said, your, your life, our life, is actually more radically changed now that we're in Christ than Lazarus was when he rose from the dead. All right, the last thing we're doing, it's going to take a minute, is I want to give you one example, one way to think about parenting, one way to think about how to approach your, your, your kids and daily life. I'm calling it Time Management 101. I've done a lot of time management, been in a lot of time management courses from the corporate life, taught a lot of time management. Most people think of time as the passing of minutes, sec, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, days, right? And so they think of their Christian life, okay, you know, I've got to think about Christ more and think about that. What we teach in, in time management is break your day up not by time, break it up by tasks and events, okay? So you got up this morning, the first thing you did is think, okay, the first thing I'm doing this morning is I'm doing my devotions for an hour. Okay, then I've got, to, I've got to do some things around the house for an hour. Then I'm going to go to church for the next three, four hours. Break your life up into events, one at a time. And the important thing about that is these events are often tasks or they're meeting with people. When we talk about holding every thought captive, when we talk about okay, set your mind on every, uh, above on everything all the time, take those events. And you get to the start of an event, Pray. Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need your strength. I am doing this event to your glory. This is for your glory. Give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. I want to know you more through these devotionals. I want to go to church. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may listen, so that I may grow. Be my strength in church. Help me to know you more, Lord Jesus, through these people. Let these people affect me because you are working through them. Okay? So during that, the flesh is going, when I study, the flesh is attacking me all the time, okay? So I need to keep turning back to the Lord while I'm studying and doing things, okay? And, and put aside anger and frustration and critical spirit and pride and all those kind of things. So take those events, look at life as event by event, and do this with your children. Here we're going to sit down to play. Lord, bless me as I sit down to play with my children, you know? Christ, live your life through me. Let me let them see Christ. Let me find a way to share Christ with them. Make it all Christ-centered. Guess what? When you then go to play with those children for that amount of time, guess who's going to be on your mind? Christ and pleasing him. And that child, you know, starts doing the same thing over and over again. You start to be frustrated. Bring Christ back in. Pray. And when that block of time is done, and you're done, again, turn back and thank the Lord for blessing you, giving you the strength. So use events, start, finish, end. Thank him and give him all the glory. It's a wonderful way. And if you're having a hard time with that, just start with every event and give thanks. And then learn to add the other things. If you go through your day practicing giving thanks more and more and more, you will learn through the Holy Spirit's power to, to spend more and more of your time thinking about everything above, all right? So set your mind to things above. Set your mind on knowing Christ. 
You want to know him more. You want to please him more through your parenting in your life. Ephesians 4.20 says you are learning a person. Well, make every event in your life, block a time during your day as you go from thing to thing to learn Christ more. You'd be surprised. I learned more, I learned more about Christ and grew my relationship with Christ one day taking the garbage out. How in the world can you learn about Christ taking the garbage out? I realized that that stupid garbage was created just like everything else in this universe, and it was spoken into existence by his word. It's like, Holy Spirit, you got me. I mean, you really got me. This garbage was part of, you spoke it into, it was part of the sovereign decree of creation thousands of years ago. God can do it, okay? Um, you, can give, you can give him the glory through taking out the garbage. Um, so on and on and on. You know, even, uh, you know, your relationships, you can, you can do that. Think about being gentle. Think about working with Christ. So we are out of time. I want you to never, ever separate Christ, your relationship with him in your personal life and in your parenting. Never separate Christ from the reasons you do things and the rules that you then follow. I mean, it, they're all tied together, okay? Biblical parenting is relationship first, the reasons based on that relationship, and then what we do. It's relationship, reasons, rules, okay? Based on our relationship with Jesus Christ, we always to our children give reasons for our rules. And we're going to close. The band's going to come up here and play, Yet Not I, But Christ Through Me. Uh, and you know, that can be a theme song because that's right from Galatians 2.20. That should be our parental theme song. Everything is, you know, Christ through me. Yet not I, but Christ through me. Give the glory to God. Uh, your children were a gift. They were a gift from God, given to you especially. Give glory to him. Give thanks. Today should be a day where you're more thankful for your family than they are for you because you've been given a gift. Now take it and, and commit in your relationship that you want to know Christ more by how you parent. So yet not I, but Christ through me. Let us pray. Oh, Father, indeed, though it's worldly, thank you for being our Father. Thank you that you have revealed yourself as Father. You have revealed your, our, our Lord Jesus Christ as Son, that you have revealed yourself to us in relationship so that we may see the perfect Father, we may see the perfect Son, we may see who we are to be like. We, more than for all the fathers that we know today, we give thanks for you as our Father, as our sovereign God, and for being a Father, Lord Jesus, for being a Son and giving us the truth of what the best of the best in eternity is for fatherhood and sonship. We thank you. Please take this word and, and, and drive it into our hearts. Push us to relationship. Push us away from just rules. And bless our Father's Day. We all we bless. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.